Are you blessed or are you cursed With a strong imagination and a spiritual thirst Do you wanna confide about the darkness inside Come and talk about it on self Ah, how we doing folks? Happy December. Welcome to my uh, podcast that's limping along at a monthly pace now. Um, what are you going to do? We're putting these episodes out as rapidly as we can, which is slow. It's winter, baby. Things are, things are slow, and you can totally embrace the slowness. Don't let the capitalist machine tell you you got to be uh, firing on all cylinders 12 months out of the year, 365. Nah, man. We're not meant to do that. We're supposed to kind of go into a little bit of a sleepy hibernation mode this time of year. So let it happen. My life became so much easier when I stopped trying to fight the winter, when I stopped trying to fight the gloom. Oh my God. Now I just go in. I've just been listening to nothing but doom metal and some some dungeon synth and just dark shit and uh, just letting it just letting it ride and that's that's really helpful I don't know just fully let myself just be like look man you know it's gonna start getting dark at like 3.30pm you know it's gonna be like magic hour at 3.30 you know it's gonna be 8.23 p.m. and you're gonna think for a while that it's actually 11 o'clock p.m. and that's gonna slowly drive you nuts unless you just adjust to it there's like now is the time of year when it's all dark it's dark all the time that's fine hi i'm brad pearson welcome to self Worst podcast what's up hope you are all embracing the darkness as well be friends with it Become one with the blackness. Become one with the gloom. Join it. Let it envelop you. Like an inky, oily, black tar to sink to the bottom. That's nice. Don't worry about it. The light will come back. You'll have to open your eyes again someday. But right now, there's down the bottom. It's cool. It's nice down here, isn't it? All right. Let's get the show started. We are talking to Kate Terry. She's a podcaster out of Philly and a podcaster and artist, visual artist out of Philly. Uh, But you can't really podcast about your visual art. You got to look at that so you can you can find her stuff and and look at it. But uh, her podcasts, she has two of them. And I found this out on air. I, I thought she just had the one. She has uh, Fangs for the Memories, which is about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, and she has a, another one, uh, Tender Subject, which, a, which is about cannibalism. So you see there's sort of a common thread, eating people and blood and all of that. Um, you know, I never really got into Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, I, don't, I don't really know why. I, it just didn't hit me. It just kind of missed me. And I know a lot of people who are really into it and really like it. And when they describe it and why it works for them, I'm like, hell yeah, that sounds, that totally makes sense. I like that. My, you know, my feelings about 
Joss Whedon and, and, and his particular style and his uh, personality and everything, you know, aside, I, I get, I see the appeal. It just never really became my nerdy comfort show the way something like The X-Files or Star Trek, DS9 and TNG. Those are my boys. DS9 and TNG. We're, we're doing like a deep dive of, of DS9 right now, Caitlin and I. Because we've already watched all of TNG. I can't believe that I even got her into it. And now it's like her favorite show. It's amazing. I'm a lucky dude. I got my girlfriend into Star Trek like after we were already dating and everything. Like it wasn't a, it wasn't a like, Oh, you're just gonna have to go do that. Cause I'm, I can't with the, with the Ferengi makeup and the teeth. I, she got over it. Now she's enjoying it. And that's what it's about. You, you take a flawed project such as Buffy, such as TNG, such as, DS9 and and you you kind of just let it be what it is. It's a time capsule. They didn't execute it perfectly and that's okay because they got the point across for the most part and that's what art's supposed to fucking do. Anyway, that's what we're doing this winter. Staying inside and watching a lot of DS9. Um that's all. That's all I got for you. That's pretty much the long and short of the updates about my life if you give a shit if you even care um that's all I got let's go to the interview I, I, I it's really life's boring so I've been listening to your podcast uh, to sort of yeah. prep for the interview um t- tell us a little about that uh, um w- oh which podcast uh, fangs for the memories. Wait, you have two. Okay. You have another podcast. I have two. Yeah. Um, okay, so I have two podcasts. One's Fangs for the Memories, which is a Buffy the Vampire Slayer rewatch mm-hmm. podcast. Um, and I've been a huge Buffy fan for many, many years. Um, we. So it's me and my friend Leslie, who also lives in South Philly, um, which is awesome. We live in the same Hellmouth. Um, but uh, so, yeah, we've been both watching Buffy forever. Like, I'm on my, like, fifth rewatch. And it's just a show that I think has shaped a ton of people. Um a lot of academics are really into Buffy for various reasons. There's, like, an entire... Uh, like, Josh. Well, not Josh Weed. I'll, I'll go back to that about Josh. Sure, Whedon, we'll we'll put a pin in Josh Whedon because uh, yeah, yeah, I know people have a lot of thoughts about him. Yeah, but there's there are like Buffy conferences. Um, there's an actual award called the Mister Pointy Award, which is the name of one of Buffy's wood stakes that she uses to kill vampires. So it is a show that has a not just like a rich history on its own and really interesting lore on its own but it has like many many years of um, like theory and examination and personal conversations like there's a lot of 
queer folks who saw something in Buffy that they never saw before mm-hmm. in a TV show. Um, there's a lot about like being a teenage girl or femme, I suppose, that um, like there's a lot about like teenage desire in Buffy that's really interesting um, that I think like presents desire in a way to like a teenager that like a lot of other shows maybe didn't do um like it gives teenagers a lot more agency i think than a lot of shows at that time like obviously a lot of things have come out since then that have followed in buffy footsteps but Um, we're 90s kids and we had to we had to take make do (laughs) we had to make do with what we had presented to us then that was on the yeah. WB, right? Totally, yes. Um, I, I'll be and, honest; I never really yeah. watched. I didn't really watch it all all that much. Um, but like, it was like on around the same time as like Dawson's Creek, right? Which is the totally, other like yeah. real big one, right? Yeah. Um, and and going like for whatever reason, my girlfriend wanted to go back and watch Dawson's Creek, uh, like sometime in the last couple of years, and was just like, actually, this is this kind of sucks. This is actually kind of like really like. <laughs> chaste and weird and like you know judgmental of like a lot of the characters and really horrible depictions of of like mental illness um i don't know if you remember what happens what's that blonde character's name uh not the michelle williams character there's this other girl who like goes crazy and i think i know what you're talking about it's just it's just very like where are you getting this from you know like yeah it's it's bad and melodramatic and and like for an impressionable, you know, little like teenage mind watching that, it's it's got a lot of like weird, uh, weird kind of conservative tropes about virginity and purity and like all of this stuff. Like, you know, because they're these like horny kids, but they're like, oh, but we can't because that would be wrong to give our virginity to the person we're not in love with and like all of that like all of that stuff it's like a very like after school special kind of stuff um and also like it's just it's not good i don't know yeah i mean dawson's creek is like i guess because it's very suburban and white and Mm -hmm. there aren't vampires (laughs) yeah it's missing a couple of or at least one extremely important factor for me so what was it that Um, drew you as like a 13 year old it was it was the vampire like goth thing yeah i mean i didn't watch buffy when i was a teenager i i somehow missed it because i think i thought i was too cool to watch it Mm. when i was an actual teen what were you watching when you were an actual teen like blue velvet (laughs) you were watching blue velvet when you were a teenager Yeah, I had really weird parents. Mm. Um, I had a stepfather who was really into William S. Burroughs and um, liked to show me strange movies and shit. And we didn't have... uh, I I guess we had... I mean, I don't remember having any kind of cable or anything. So we would, like, rent movies from the library. The most... So it was just, like, the most random things that we could find. Um, so yeah, I didn't watch, I I watched it in my twenties. So a lot of it is like me imagining, I guess what I would have felt as a teenager watching Buffy. Right. But 
I was always like, I was very much a goth weird kid and continue to be a goth weird adult. <laughs> Did you grow um, up in Philly? No, in Connecticut. Okay. Yeah. Um, and like all the things you say about Dawson's Creek are, are true about Buffy. And that's an interesting thing that we deal with on the podcast a lot is that like we have readings of Buffy and a lot of people saw something in Buffy that like maybe wasn't even intended by Joss Whedon, who is extremely problematic. And we, we make fun of him a lot on the show um, because he sucks. And, and often like, it was re- like he was really involved in almost everything in Buffy. So we kind of are always dealing with the idea of what it means to love a show so much that was like mostly made by an extremely problematic man. Right. Who like so problematic that like one of the younger characters on the show was like not allowed to be in a room alone with him. Yeah. I don't. So yeah, I'm not super informed on what went on with him so far as I know, or so far as like I gleaned from the whole thing was that like he fucked one of his actresses, but he was married and like that, like when I heard that, I was like, Oh, that sucks. Mm -hmm. Like he's a bad husband. But like, is that like, it's yeah. not like a huge, you know, I was like, eh, that part, like, yeah, that part is like, whatever he cheated. I mean, I don't, to me, like, that's not that makes you just kind of like a shitty husband. Right. Like you're you a said. bad husband think, and you should you should get divorced because like it's not working yeah. out. Like, OK, fine. Yeah. Like, that's his personal life. But like, so Keenan apparently he did other shit that, that was really like not cool. No, he was um, he was extremely abusive to a lot of the female characters apparent or female actors on the on the show um he just like made an incredibly like toxic work environment for a lot of people and um would like just berate people hmm. so and uh, while at the same time like really really promoting this idea of himself as like the feminist man ideal you yeah. know so so i think that's part of it too that's a big he was just like i'm a i'm a dog i suck right maybe it would be different but you know to to make a show that is like targeted at sort of like empowering teenagers and making um you know your your main character is like a teenage superhero Mm mm-hmm and then to make all of the women on the show who are teenagers and like young 20 somethings feel like shit every day is like bad praxis <laughs> for, yeah. for a show. Like it just sucks. Like you're not living your, um, like you're not living the truth of the show at all. Like it just, it's just awful. So we're like, we are very, very, critical of the show in a lot of ways like there's a virginity uh plot that is just not good it's very it it's yeah, really it's always like that from fucking shows from our era and it's just yeah. like i don't know 
Like, because I remember being really precious about my own virginity when I was mm-hmm. a teenager. And I wasn't even, like, brought up in a, like, Christian or conservative household. Like, I was brought up Unitarian. We were all pretty chill about that kind oh, of yeah. stuff. But I was yeah. still, like, I still had this idea of, like, purity and all of this shit, like, in my head, like, just through osmosis of living in the world. Right. Um, and, and that, like, you know, promiscuity was looked down upon and blah, 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 right? And now, you know, I'm almost 40 and 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 I don't know, I don't think I know a single person who is still with the person they lost their virginity to. Oh, it doesn't matter. It's over. Like, it's such a fucking uh, moot concept that yeah. like it, and, and, and it makes me just sort of feel like, uh, I don't know. Like it, it just bums me out when I think back on how much pressure and importance and preciousness we we really put on on all of that stuff. Yeah, I was like absolutely dying to lose my virginity, but also yeah. like put so much. You know, I put a lot of importance on it as if it was like a thing that I could give away to a person mm-hmm. and not like a very fluid idea you know like it is a really fluid concept because now i feel like people's ideas of sex are so more so much more expansive or at least like probably the people we know (laughs) sure um it's a much more expansive concept so it's like the idea of losing a virginity is like not really it's not like very apt anymore. I'm still waiting to lose mine. So uh, I don't, you know, we'll, <laughs> we'll see. I'll let you know sure. when it happens. Okay, but let me um, know. yeah, yeah. Like what, how, what was the fallout from, from, from uh, your situation? Cause I, I remember like my whole thing was like, I was like fucking crestfallen when like the, the girl I lost my virginity to broke up with me and I was like, what's this about to happen? like, <laughs> and, and like then yeah. not even like, a year later, I was just like, what was I doing? This was all so stupid. And like, it, like as soon as you step away and like get outside of it, you're fine. But like in the moment, you know, we're talking about teenage feelings. Like they're very intense and they feel like they're the end all be all. So like, what, what was this like for you? Um, I think I felt like, so I really, yeah, I really wanted to lose my virginity. I was very excited about it. I thought of it as something that, like, I just had to get rid of. Mm-hmm. And then I could move forward. So I honestly don't think that the person I lost my virginity to was someone that I expected to spend any time with. Like, I, I almost felt like it was so embarrassing. Yeah. That I was like, let's get this over with. And I I believe, I think he was a virgin too. So I think like at that point, we didn't know how to talk to each other either. Like it's so hilarious how like good at communication I am with sex now and like how completely inept I was then where it was like, I don't even know what to say to this person as I'm having sex with them. Like, what do you do? So yeah. it was... Yeah, it was like this great source of embarrassment where I was like, I'm not going to be any good at this. I you're not either. Let's get it over with and then like let's let's like get out of here 
and move on. That's a, that's a much better happened. way of looking at it. I mean, because like that's how it usually goes. It's usually just yeah, bad guess, and embarrassing and kind of awkward. And then you just sort of sheepishly move on to the next person. Yeah, and you're like, okay, true. cool. I, let's pretend that didn't. Uh, well, we just won't bring that up anymore. I definitely didn't expect it to be good, which yeah. is good, which is great because it wasn't. Yeah, <laughs> I no, of course not. Yeah, and I didn't expect it to be that romantic either, which is funny, um, given how dramatic I was about mm. like romance and things like mm-hmm. that. But I think I just, um, because I also didn't even know what to ask for at that point. It was just like, get it over with, like make some notes in your head about like what happens and then like use that as you move forward in life. Sure. <laughs> this is weirdly analytical for a 15-year-old. What's weird like, is like... All I, right. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think I like really cared going into it, but then like afterward, like when I was getting rejected, it was like I was so crestfallen and, and like... Because honestly, like looking back on the trajectory of the whole thing wasn't really into her was just kind of like okay cool like I guess and you know then like I've talked about this before but like it's kind of fun like 9-11 sort of played into like me losing my v-card because (laughs) I was it had just like that had just happened and it was and like and I was kind of just like well, I guess we might die at any moment, so fuck it. Like, I, I'm not gonna like yeah. wait around. I I need to just make this happen, you know. Um, and 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 so like I was feeling especially cavalier about the whole thing, and and but then like, you know, fast forward, uh, I don't know, a year or so. Like it it didn't even last that long, but you know, when you're a kid, it it feels it all feels so oh yeah big and bombastic and and epic and everything. I don't even really know the fucking timeline. About a year, um, you know, like I fast forward a year and it's just this big fucking significant thing. And like I like you was was very dramatic. I was a big I was a big drama boy. Um, yeah, you know, just just big, <laughs> just big moody feelings and diary yep. entries and all of that shit. So, oh, my God. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. When I was like um, when I was a teen, I spent a lot of time in my room. Mm hmm. This was in co- oh, so this was in college. I spent a lot of time in my <coughs> room with the lights off, except for this one red light bulb. Hell yeah! Smoking cigarettes and listening to the Twin Peaks soundtrack, and yes. I just thought I was so cool. That is, like, I mean, so that's pretty cool. cool. That's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. It was pretty cool as a you know a teen. Like people <laughs> thought I was cool. I think, but um, but yeah, so much energy spent. The concept um, of like coolness and like being like a cool brooding teen is so fucking yeah. embarrassing when you look back on it and like it just is. like the the want to be taken seriously and the want to be taken like uh I don't know like to for for people to think you're like cool and mysterious and shit like it's uh-huh. just once you like move past that and you realize that you're just like a dork and like a person like everybody else you're just like Jesus Christ. So it was better. it was so it was so much worse when I was like really trying to be Kurt Cobain. It really was. Oh yeah. It's a lot of work. And like I wanted to be an adult as long like as long as I can remember. Um I remember like so I grew up kind of near New York City and like 
my dad would take me to a Broadway show every year for my birthday. And like, even when I was 10, I would get all dressed up and my dad and I would be walking around and I'd try and like walk in front of him. And I had this whole idea that like, oh, I bet, I wonder if people think I'm a famous actress walking Mm -hmm. around, you know, like, no, they just see like some dumb kid who's overdressed and doesn't know know how to do her makeup. (laughs) Yeah. Like on the street with her equally dumb dad, like trailing behind her, you know, like, I don't know. I just had this sense of myself that um, is very funny now when I think about it. Cause I don't, I feel like now I'm just like, whatever. I'm so silly. Now that you have grown, grown up, do you have some buyer's remorse about, uh, you know, having grown up and money and responsibilities and all the other shit that you didn't, oh, yeah. <laughs> you weren't yes. counting on as part of adulthood, which <laughs> is not fun, not good. Oh kind of yeah. wish I hadn't signed up for this. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I definitely wouldn't want to have a, I wouldn't want to go back to being a teenager because I do think I was like so dramatic and so bad at communicating and mm. um, definitely like looking back on like, you know, teenage loves of my life, like how crazy those relationships were and how many like tears and fights and things like that happened that like I just would never do anymore. Sorry. Uh, yeah. <laughs> how, um, what were some teachable moments? Like what, what were the big lessons and, um, you know, tools that you, that you picked up along the way as far as like communication and, and all that? I mean, honestly, the biggest thing is being polyamorous. Mm-hmm. Um, when, I've decided that that was something that I like my like partner and I decided that was something that we wanted to do. And I, I like ideologically it made so much sense to me. It was like exactly how I feel, you know, like no one belongs to anyone. We should be this like, you know, large collective of care where we have these like fluid relationships where everybody loves each other and it's wonderful. And like, it totally fits with how I feel about the world. Um, but then when we actually tried to do it, I thought I was like losing my mind every day. And so I had to like work really hard. Um, I got a therapist to like specialized in, open and queer relationships and like dug in as deep as I could I think um so that was like that was the biggest thing um and that was like six years ago because I think no matter what there are so many unsaid things um in like a monogamous relationship I mean that's not fair but because there are really good communicators, but I do think, like for me at least, no matter what, there were a lot of unsaid things. No, you're right. <laughs> like, I'm in a monogamous <laughs> relationship, and it's, it, it, a lot of it is, uh, it, it's based on. I don't. I mean, I think every. I don't know. Like, I think maybe any relationship is. You know, everybody has their own personal world and like things that they, you know, their own inner world of 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 things about their 
uh, relationship or their partner or even their relationship with themselves that they don't want to project out. And, you know, like it is this big uh, sort of guessing game as to like what you want to actually bring to the surface, what you actually want to bring up with your yeah. partner, what you want to just like, mm, I'm going to let that slide. I'm going to keep that kind of close to the vest and, and, and not worry about that. Or like, you know, like who knows? Like, cause it's hard to know. Like, is this a thing that I'm going to like put away and just be like, this is not a big issue in our relationship and, and I can I can transcend this. Yeah. Or is it going to be like a thing that's going to bottle up and I'm going to explode later and it's like going to be messy and I should have dealt with it now. You know, like that's right. a very hard thing to know, you know, and uh, that, that, that's how... Uh, that's how come all of us aren't with the person we lost our virginity to because it's all it's very hard and it fucks up and it crashes and burns most of the time yes and I think that I had a tendency to be to play everything really close to the vest Mm -hmm. um, pre opening up a relationship that I had like an extremely internal world that I didn't want to share with anyone. And I don't think that's bad. Like, I do think it's fine to still have that. And I I still have it to a degree, but um, I'm a lot more honest, like with myself and with other people in general. Now Um, it's something that I thought would be related mostly to my romantic relationships, but it's changed like kind of everything really um, because your style of communication has to be so radically different. When was it first sort of uh, presented to you as an option and when did you sort of like consider it and, and when did, um, I don't know, like, what were some roadblocks to adopting it? If, if there were any, like some, some like uh, uh, doubts or obstacles. Yeah, um, I think it's something that I have always, like, there was something always kind of, like, nagging at me in that direction probably my whole life, um, or, like, my whole sexual life. Like, I was a really, um, like, explorative teen (laughs) and had a really good time, and I think um, the like you know purity culture of the 90s really like fucked me up a lot and I felt like I got like shamed a lot as a younger person and so I was like okay put that away nobody wants that like um and so when I met I've been with my partner that like the partner that I like opened up with, we've been together for 20 years. So we've been together for a long time and yeah. And I think when we first met, we were like, yeah, maybe someday we'll do this. And we kind of joked around about it a few times. Then we got married and we like moved to Philly and we tried to be normal and tried to be normal. That didn't really work Uh obviously very well. And, um, it was, yeah, I guess so he is I'm like gonna air well, he doesn't care. So he does like this crazy like medieval LARPing thing. Um and everyone there is 
nuts for like two weeks and there's a lot of people who have like special um like open relationships just for those yeah (laughs) sidebar what is it with like ren fair people and nerds in general just just so horny so fucking horny what is i don't yeah i don't know part of me is like is it just bottled up from like being nerds and people not being into that when you're younger? Um, I I don't know, but yes, in general, nerds are extremely horny. And, it's a thing. If you've ever been and, to a Ren fair, dear listener, yeah. uh, the sexual energy is it's all, off the charts. You could cut it with a knife. Really, it's everybody at thick. a Ren fair wants to fuck everyone else. It's at crazy, a Ren fair, pretty much. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. I think it's bot. Yeah, it's like bottled up for a good amount of time, and then you run. Like this happened to me as a teenager. Like before I went to college, I felt like nobody understood me or was into the same things as me. And then I went to college, and I was like, oh my god. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And it, I like went nuts for a little while because I like met all these other people who liked the same stuff as me. So I guess it's like being around all these other niche weirdos that you're just like, all right, let's let's like go nuts. So, yeah, so he goes to this medieval thing and people have a lot of like, you know, uh, what is that called? Now I can't even remember like a. Paladin, like paladin hall, orgies and yeah and, uh, hall pass for yeah. like two weeks okay. you know yes and they have paladin well they have um in particular i know that they have like a roman orgy which sounds pretty fun <laughs> um wow. everybody everyone puts like gold like rubs themselves in like gold makeup and mm-hmm. i don't know hands out grapes and washes each other's feet and then there's like an orgy tent <laughs> wow so, <laughs> so of course he was like hey uh i go to this thing every year and right like, and there's this tent part that i'm really interested in but you know yeah cool. increasingly more and more people are like so what's your deal you mm-hmm. know and he was like how do you feel about this and i was kind of like well i think i feel okay and then I wasn't okay. And then like the next year I was. And so we did a year of don't ask, don't tell, which I don't recommend to anyone at all. Um, I think if it's something that you find sexy, like maybe incorporate that into something, I suppose. But like, it is basically just like a pass to lie. And like, if you, if you want to have more of a, solid communicative relationship with your partner and you do don't ask don't tell you're actually like pushing your partner way further away because now you have an even more extensive secret life without them you know yeah um so the first year we did that and like you know we both went off and did our things i had a i met somebody at a protest and started this like torrid affair with them in um they lived in texas and like we would run into each other at protests and um 
it ended really badly and mm. it was really sad because I couldn't talk to anyone about it. Right. Um, particularly my partner. And that, yeah, that'd be, <laughs> that'd be weird. Yeah. And I was sad for like a month yeah. about this thing ending and he didn't know why. And I didn't know how to talk to him about it. So we had this, you know, come to Jesus kind of moment where it was like, okay, this is so ridiculous. Like, we're doing this to protect each other, I guess. But, like, it's not really working. So we have to actually start talking to each other. Hmm. Um, And we started. And it that also had, like, a lot of pitfalls. But, like, we pushed through it. And, like, not everyone does. Yeah. You know? I mean, that's the thing. You know, polyamorous relationships are just like monogamous relationships and that they're made up of two or more people and yeah. uh, doesn't always work out. Like shit, shit doesn't work out. Shit yeah. Falls apart, shit you know? ha- and, yeah. And like, life happens. I, I don't think that failure of those uh, particular relationships is, is like a mark on uh, whether or not that works out because like, you know, if, if you look at, uh, divorce rates and marriage and how the, all of that stuff like it, then you could really make the case that like marriage is completely pointless as well but everybody still wants people to do it anyway do that. yeah so <laughs> I, I don't really know um, with uh, your therapist like um, yeah. specializing in um, open and, and queer relationships uh, can you talk a little bit about like because uh, I feel like It's maybe a bit of a bridge. It's maybe a bit of a stretch, but like I, I think poly relationships uh, almost have a queer element to them, even if both people are uh, mostly heterosexual in the relationship, mm-hmm. just because it falls outside the norm of the you know nuclear family. Right? Yeah. I think like, yeah, theoretically, like if you use queer in more of like a, like theory way you know like queering a relationship Mm -hmm. um like you said means to like take it away from the idea of like the like capitalist productive nuclear family you know and like a polyamorous relationship becomes that way because there's like various non-productive like there could be productive families i guess within that but like there's all these various non-productive groups you know that are forming like um you know if you want to get like into all the like silliness of polyamory which i kind of love that's funny is like you know suddenly you have a million friends lovers friends and like you have your polycule and your metamors and all this like hilarious terminology um and like you can make that your family like you can do without what you would like you know right. you can do you can be solo and live by yourself and see three people but like never want to get married or live with anyone you can be you know one of my partners we've been together for two years and i consider them like a life partner um, but we'll probably never live together. And 
he lives by himself and he loves it. And like, you know, that's fine. I love that. Like, I think that's great. Um, so <laughs> I just forgot what the question was. <laughs> I mean, it was like a vague sort of question about, about queerness yeah. and, 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 uh, yeah. and, and poly polyamory and, and, oh, and open relationships yeah. and all that. So I think, um, yeah, I think it does make sense. Like, my therapist that I found um, was, like, recommended to me by someone else who is also, like, in a queer poly relationship. And I just think that, like, one of the nice things about having a therapist who is like that is nothing phases them. Um, I've definitely talked to, I've had therapists before where I've, like, talked about kink or talked about like you know having sex with various people and they're like oh do you think that's a problem like they want to pathologize it in some way Mm -hmm. um and i think that like if you see someone who is like that's their specialty nothing in the world faces them and it's wonderful like you can throw anything at them and they're like cool (laughs) you know which is really nice um for people who have had therapists who like judge, you know, and yeah. they're, and that, that sucks. That sucks to have a therapist like that. Who I mean, that's exactly what a therapist isn't supposed to do. Have you yeah. um, faced any kind of uh, stigma and, and judgment from, from your peers, from your family uh, uh, about being you know openly poly? Not really. I feel like I'm really lucky. Um, I came out to my mom a few years ago because my live-in partner and I were dating another person together and wanted to bring them home like for the holidays with us. And uh, my mom is really funny. She is, she's kind of like, she's a very like new England sweet mom. So she's got that kind of like liberal NPR kind of, side but also like maybe a little puritanical and a little nervous about um talking about sex and stuff and she just was like it was like those two things were fighting inside of her and she was just like yes that sounds great well of course we'll be extremely welcoming Uh and uh where would everyone be sleeping how would that you know like she just was um, so one of the things she said that made, I still think about it, like it made me laugh so hard. She was like, just so you know, I live in an older house and like, I don't think that the tub can handle three people. <laughs> As if that was something that right. like we were going to They do. thought you were going to film the dreamers there. That's what. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Great movie. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so it was like, we can handle ourselves for you know, like three days. Um, but she did put out three matching hand towels and like three baskets for us to put our toiletries in. Oh, see, that's adorable. Sweet. That's nice. I mean, yeah. she's doing her best. She's a boomer. She she's is. like really trying and like that's she that's really, like all you really can ask is. for. Yeah. And like sometimes she asks questions that I find to be kind of annoying. Like she um or she has so she's been divorced twice and she's mm-hmm. always kind of like, how come you have two men who love you and I can't find one? 
And I'm just like, that is a, why would you ask your daughter that question? Like, why, mom? <laughs> and it's like, you could, mom, you could have like five men who love you if you really want to. <laughs> um, and then my dad just thinks polyamory means that you can have sex with anyone you want at any time. And I'm not going to contradict, I'm, I'm not going to correct him. Mm -hmm. He's just, he, I think, just heard it and was like, whoa, cool. <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the boomer dad response. Like, you mean you can, you can just, yeah. I could have been doing that all along? Fuck. Pretty much. Yeah, he's like, so this chick that I think is really hot who lives like in the condo next door, I could just like call her? And I was like, you could, dad, but like, it's a lot of work. Right. I don't think you can handle it. Also, she'd have to want you to do that. There's a yes. whole big thing there. And, and I think that's like mainly people's uh, objection. Like that's the that's the main or like the knee jerk or like the the, the, the boilerplate uh, uh, response to, to a, a polyamorous lifestyle is that like, mm -hmm. God, it just seems like a lot of work. And I think like that's probably fine for like most people. Like I, I think that's a perfectly reasonable uh, stopping point for people. You know, just like, I don't, yeah. I, I would, but like, God damn, I can barely handle like the one partner. They're like enough of a pain in the ass that like, I don't want to yeah, deal with two, fine. three, four, you know? And like, I, I, I totally get that. Yeah. No, I think that's totally fair. Like I, but I do think that, for me, like increasing partners hasn't increased problems, you know, mm. like it hasn't increased like tension for me or anything like that. Like, um, but maybe I'm just like really well suited to it and I like it. Um, and I don't mind being pretty clear with people at this point, you know, like mm -hmm. I, I know that I have, as many partners as I can handle at the moment. And if I met somebody else who I really liked, I could have like an extremely casual thing, but that's it. And like, I just have to understand, like I have to either deal with that or make space some other way, because like, no matter what, you're still dealing with all the other things that you have to do in your life. Just setting up all of the rules and boundaries and everything, does that, like, take some of the uh, romance or intrigue out of it? No. I mean, maybe at first. At first, I think there were a lot of things that I had. So, and this doesn't apply for, you know, I know people who have been just, like, polyamorous from the get. Mm -hmm. And so, obviously, these things don't affect them in the same way i was talking to someone on friday who was just who just like assumed i had been polyamorous for my whole like adult life and they were kind of like oh my god people who are like opening their relationships can get kind of exhausting can't they and i was like well I was one of those people. That is the so that's the stereotype, and like you know, I, I, there's like a bajillion jokes about like especially like living in New York and being like adjacent to the comedy oh, yeah. scene. There's a bajillion <laughs> jokes about polyamorous people and how annoying of they course. are and how like you know like, cringe and yeah. everything. And 
the main joke is like for like queer or bisexual women like i'm always asked to like go and be the third in a relationship that's not going to work out yeah that's the, that's the fucking that's the punchline right that's the trope is totally. that a failing marriage they will try and open things up in the last you know six months year you know of, of a doomed relationship yeah. yeah, it's like sure. a desperate last grasp to like stay together you know and um and like man like i try my best to like not be judgmental of mm -hmm. um people and, and where they're at with their relationships and uh you know and, and and things working out or things not working out um because they're fucking hard and yeah. uh, and 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 like I also you know I get that people want to make jokes and I get that people you know want to express that like what's going on culturally around them. Um, but I I do kind of feel like it it gets kind of exhausting and annoying to like make fun of the same people in like failing relationships yeah. or like going through something really rough, you know, and it just never, it, it, it just always kind of strikes me as mean spirited and, and, um, and kind of holier than thou, um, when, yeah. when people talk about, uh, you know, just the things that people do to try and navigate, human love and connection and sexuality and relationships. Cause it's all really fucking difficult. And I, I don't feel like I'm good at it enough to like point and laugh at other people for like what they're, you know, dealing with. Right. Yeah. Like everyone is failing all the time and that's okay. Cause that's just life. Mm -hmm. And I think to be, I'm not going to say that like being, polyamorous has been has like put a target on me in any way because i think i'm super lucky and privileged and i have like i am in a extremely queer community and city and like surrounded by awesome people that i love um so it wasn't like i had to you know i was living in this small town and i had to like bust out of it or something yeah. um so I feel really lucky, but I do think that like, you know, to decide that you want to do something different with your life than the path that you're supposed to go on is jumping off a cliff to a certain extent. And mm -hmm. like, you're gonna fail a lot because there's no blueprint for it. And like, there's starting to be more of one, but there's also like, yeah, like people within... I mean, I did a lot of this at first, too, where I was like, I'm polyamorous, but I'm not like one of those people, you yeah. know, where it's like, no, just own your own that, like, own it, like, fine. If you want to call me cringe, that's fine. I do not care. I have a Google calendar that's like extremely well maintained because it has to be. Right. And like, I care about the people I'm with and I care about their time and my time. And like, if you think that's something to make fun of, like go for it you know i don't mm -hmm. play i don't really like board games that's like one of those things that apparently all polyamorous people love is that a thing that we all get we all get together and play board games together yeah oh i didn't i did not know about that stereotype yeah. i didn't know that was it's like what whatever i think it goes along with like the 
like nerd LARPy D and D kind of stuff, you know. Sure. I, I did. My other partners went to PAX Unplugged last week, and I did not go, so they can do that. What's PAX Unplugged? Um, it's like a board game, like tabletop, like RPG kind of thing. Um, it's like a big conference in Philly, and it is super packed. Um, and like that's another wonderful thing about uh, having an open relationship is that like your partner and their other partner and like their partner's partner can all go do a thing that you don't like to do. And yeah, that, like, I mean that that go. does sound like a, if your partner is into something that you're just like this fucking sucks. You don't yeah. have to like pretend you like it. Ah, oh, nope. The freedom. I just, go, I just go. Yeah, go with your other partner. I don't like that. Yeah, and it's fine, and it's great. You know, um, I think a lot of people also think that that leads to some sort of like depersonalizing of human or like you know making a human into like a checklist. Which I think is something that people can do with polyamory where they're like, you know, one, no one person can suit all of my needs. So like, here's the person that I do this thing with and here's the person that I do this thing with. And like, some people criticize that because they think it's like, yeah, like dehumanizing. But like, we do that with our friends. Yeah. You know? Yeah, you have you have your gym bud, you have your drinking bud, you have, you know. Yeah. Never the twain shall meet. Totally. Yeah, I like that. I have friends, yeah, who go to bed at like 9:30 and you hang you go hiking with them and then you have mm -hmm. friends who like stay up till 3 and you like try and do that with them. <laughs> you know. So what what is your theory on um why this isn't more of a, I mean, it's becoming more of a mainstream thing, but like what yeah. has, what has held it back um, from becoming uh, a, a more viable option? I think it's just really hard hmm. for a lot of people, you know, it requires like a big commitment to like direct communication. And like a lot of people don't want to do that and that's fine. Is so there jealousy? Have you experienced jealousy? How? how have yeah. You... I think you you definitely, like, don't... I mean, there are people who, like, have less jealousy experience than others. Like, I do think there are people who, like, just genuinely don't experience jealousy that much. But I don't know if that has anything to do with whether they're polyamorous or not, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think, like, if you're in a relationship that is poly you're still gonna feel jealous sometimes yeah. um and then you just have to figure out like what is that thing what is the thing that is making me feel like that like so i feel like sometimes when you're that's like the next step of it so like if you're feeling jealous and you're in a monogamous relationship i feel like at least for me i would never go to the next step of like what's the actual thing that's going on? You know, mm -hmm. I'd just be like, I'm mad. Right. Um, and so now I have to be like, what is happening? You know, like, am I not getting enough attention? Do I need like a better, right. like dedicated date with this person? Reassurance, or, insecurity, all yeah, of that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, so I'm like, we go, should go be giving each other. Yeah. 
I mean, so like I'm in a monogamous relationship, but I've never considered myself a very jealous person. And like, yeah, my partner kind of, I mean, she's not really like at this point, like there, there was a period earlier in our relationship where like it would bother her that like I was still friends with some of my exes or that mm-hmm. like if she detected that somebody was trying to flirt with me or whatever at a party and I was like, dude, yeah. I'm right. Here. Like you're right in front of me. I'd like if I am if I'm two timing you, I'm not fucking flirting with the person like at the <laughs> same party as you, first of all. Yeah. <clears throat> but you eventually like was able to like move past that when it just sort of was demonstrated to her that like I'm not going anywhere. Like we're in this. I'm I'm in a thing. I'm not gonna fucking step out. Like, you know. Yeah. And and now it's it's just so much more comfortable. Um, and we don't feel threatened by other people or by them spending time alone or, 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 or whatever. Like it, it just doesn't, it's not a factor anymore. And I think that that, uh, is, is an important part of either a monogamous or a, or a polyamorous relationship that like, I, I think, I mean, I don't want to just say that like jealousy is bad and you should never feel jealous. Jealousy is an inevitable human emotion, but it is something that should be like dealt with like pretty quick because it can it can really metastasize into something bad, you know. Um, And, you know, like, again, I'm not trying to say that, like, if you feel jealous in your relationship, then that's that's, you know, doomed. But uh, I think that it's a better it's a good sign of a healthy relationship when that is sort of like quashed. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, to be real, like I've been in polyamorous relationships where I've never felt on solid ground with a person. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, eventually those end because that person is still not giving you what you need or want. And that's okay. You know, if they can't do that, then it kind of has to end. But um, yeah, I think it it happens regardless. I think people just are not, like we really are taught to skirt around our feelings in so many ways and like not really express what's going on. Um, And it's like real work to not do that. Like I think you really have to like learn and practice and like I get better and better at it all the time um I mean I still sometimes I'm like oh I have to have a hard conversation with someone and I don't want to do it because I don't want to hurt somebody's feelings but like also hurting people's feelings is just like part of life too which sucks I hate that but it's true um and you just have to like find a way to do it that isn't cruel Right. Um, But yeah, I mean, I definitely felt like I was not getting what I needed from a relationship, both in monogamy land and non-monogamy land. You know, that's just like how it goes. So other than, um, you know, your your weird, freaky, hippie, uh, <laughs> communist, poly uh, relationship, what, what else do you talk about in therapy? What, what else are you dealing with in there? Um, it's just like, you know, the usual family 
sister fam so my therapist does like this um it's basically like family relationship relational systems so they are looking at the many different ways you exist in all of your different relationships because like um obviously the way you behave at work with one person is different from the way you present yourself to your parents or your partner or your friends yeah. um and so that's like what we're dealing with that like i might have a like a way of behavior with my mom that i developed when i was like a child um that i'm still doing in ways that like are destructive to both of us mm -hmm. um and like how do you change that and one of the reasons why i like it is because it um I feel like for people who are visual thinkers, it's really cool because they'll, my therapist will have me um, sort of like close my eyes and go into myself and be like, okay, imagine like somewhere in your body, there is this person or thing that is reacting to this issue. You know, like, what do they, what do they look like? What are they up to? Like, is there anyone around them? Um, and then like sometimes you realize like that person is that little person thing is protecting like yet another person thing in your body. Um, so if you're a visual thinker, it's kind of cool. Like I often see my various little part, like they're called parts. So I'll see my various parts as kind of like SpongeBob type looking characters, <laughs> you know, just like various um shapes and like goo and things like that um and it's very helpful like i was going through a period of time where i was like i'm very anxious and depressed and have been for a really long time and i'm medicated but still need to talk it through a lot so um i was going through a phase where i was panicking a lot and there was like a part that I visualized that was like a bowl of jello that kept getting electrocuted. Hmm. And it was really wild. Like it, I mean, it, I don't know if it sounds really silly and like woo woo, but, um, it was like, for me, I think like, okay, I actually see that, you know, like I can sort of like give a like form to my anxiety and there was something about that that was like super profound and like helped a lot other than so it's like a little different than just like talk therapy you know because you're you're visualizing things also i mean that is basically what your brain is is a bowl of jelly being electrocuted so it, <laughs> yeah. it makes sense as a, <laughs> as a metaphor <laughs> Yeah, and, like, sometimes there'll be, like, little tiny weird guys that are, like, driving around other parts, you know, like, as if I have, like, a, um, uh, what are those, the ants that get taken over by fungus? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, it's some creepy shit. Uh, cordyceps. Yeah. yeah. So it's, like, 
sometimes like one of my parts will be kind of like a cordyceps where it's like driving around my brain or driving around part of my body and I'm like I don't want it to do that but it's doing it anyway you know and like so as an artist I think it's been very helpful because like I see the world you know in that way anyway and so I'm able to I think give like shapes to my anxiety or my depression or something. It's it's not like formless and confusing in the same way it used to be. Hey, wait, what's your other podcast? We didn't get into that. <laughs> oh, my other podcast is called Tender Subject. It's a podcast about cannibalism in media. Um, yeah, <laughs> awesome. I know. Okay. Yeah, it's like, wait, what? Um, you but... saw, um, God, what was it? Bones and All? Um the movie i have i have seen it and we haven't covered it yet but we're going to okay good yeah yeah but we've done um raw mm -hmm. we had jake flores on to do raw we have done a bunch some a few with um the horror vanguard guys who are awesome um so we basically what happened was I went on um, this other podcast, Library Punk, to talk about mushrooms and theory and like just weird esoteric philosophers that I like. And somehow we started talking about cannibalism and the guy, one of the guys on the podcast was like, you've come on this podcast twice and cannibalism has come up both times what's going on and like i was just like well i'm really fascinated by it and you know it's one of the only um you know it's one of our like quote unquote universal taboos yeah along with incest so it's like quasi universal um and people are so fascinated by it but also repulsed by it and so there's been a ton of media made about it because it is a fascinating thing that like grosses people out, but they can't like help but look at it. Yeah. So. Yeah, I get that. It's yeah. a, it's um. I feel like that's a uh. It's like the real like the the much darker version of Fangs for the Memories. Like yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. It's like the grown up. It's the after dark version because like oh, that's like that. that's a lot more um you know, intense, I guess, of a subject than, you know, like a, a WB show about like teen vampires. That's like, yeah. it's silly. I mean, you know, and there is sort of like a similar, you know, I mean, vampires, they do eat people kind of, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, there's, uh, th that's just so much more, uh, intense and, and crazy. And, um, you know, I, I think frankly, you know, actually scarier because like, that's a, that's an actual, thing that doesn't happen often but you know it, it happens possible. more often than vampires which aren't real right right so. yeah like it's a possible thing and um the art that i make is about it's often kind of about like body horror and abjection and um i'm diabetic so i have this like interesting relationship with my body that I think a lot of other people don't have unless they're also disabled or have like 
some sort of autoimmune thing where their bodies are often like, I mean, I guess everyone has this. Your body is extremely confusing Mm -hmm. and often does things that you really don't understand. And I think for me, it's like extremely present every day. Um, And I also like have this intimacy with my body because I'm always like checking my blood sugar and things like that. So I see my blood like all the time. Mm. Um, Are you um, type one or type two? Yeah. Type one. Type one. So it's like been a lifelong thing. So yeah. So yeah. So Um, I mean, uh, vampirism and cannibalism, like definitely that, that symbolically makes a lot more sense. Like knowing like with that context. Oh, totally. Yeah. And like I wear an insulin pump. So one of the things that made me feel okay about it as like a public thing was thinking of like myself as kind of like a cyborg, which feels really cool rather than like, oh, this is something that like drags me down, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. I one time was dating someone and so having diabetes is extremely expensive and especially if you use a pump um all the supplies are super expensive and you have to change them like every three to five days and if you don't have good insurance you have to pay for all that shit yourself and so i was in a situation where i didn't have any new supplies and like the the I wear kind of like a sensor on my belly um, and it was like starting to come off a little bit. So I had to like tape it everywhere and I was hanging out with someone and I was like, I feel really uncomfortable by the way. Like I have like medical tape like all over myself because I'm waiting for this supply to come. And he was like, no, it's cool. You look like one of the people in the movie Crash, and that's kind of hot. And I was like, <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> that made me feel so, like, it was just such a different way to, like, refocus, um, like, how I feel and how I'm desired, you know? Mm-hmm. And, like, um, so body horror is extremely empowering and important to me in a lot of ways so hence cannibalism (laughs) yeah yeah that totally makes sense that totally makes sense um the the with like the insulin pump like i've always been curious does does it hurt does it do you always feel conscious of it or is it like a sometimes because it's like Um, going into your skin yeah so you basically like put a really long like needle into your skin and then you pull it out. So like it inserts like a cannula into your skin and then you like pull out a needle and every once in a while you'll hit something weird because our bodies are mysteries, Mm. you know? So like, I don't know what's like under various parts of my body, you know, like I'm, I might hit like a capillary and I be, turned into like a blood fountain which has definitely happened before um or you just like hit something strange and it hurts and then either sometimes it doesn't matter and sometimes it'll make it actually harder 
to deliver insulin and it becomes a problem. Mm -hmm. Um, so like there's all of, there's so much stuff to being like, like just there's like a level of awareness that I have about my body. I think that like, I wish I didn't have sometimes, like I wish I could just kind of like disconnect. Right. Um, but I can't do that. Would you wish it away? Like, is it something that you would just be like, yeah. if, if it could go <laughs> yeah. away, then yeah, that if there was like a magical cure for it tomorrow, you'd be like, oh, yeah, done. this isn't this isn't like a special thing that I have like a relationship with now. This is not something I would miss. No, I mean, I think I have I, I would be aware of like my relationship with it. And I like I think I take enough like I've taken enough from it. Mm-hmm. That's helpful. But right, you you've like, learned all the life lessons that there are to learn right. from it at this point, and now yeah. it's just annoying. But uh, yeah, I'm at a point in my life where like, yeah, the doctors are like, well, you know, there's always so many horror stories too. Like you grow up with all these stories where people just feel like it's okay to tell you that like their friend died from diabetes. Like it's so weird yeah. that people just think that. They'll be like, oh, did you watch Steel Magnolias? Remember when that lady died? And you're like, yes, I do. It traumatized me for my entire childhood. Thanks. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, like, yeah, if I could make it, if I could make my life a little bit easier, I would definitely take it. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, um, this has been like super lovely. I think we got to We got to uh, wrap oh, up good. soon, but um, okay. it's 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 about that time. So let's let's plug yeah. all your stuff again. Uh, okay. You ha- have two podcasts. One's about I vampires. One's about cannibalism. Um, tell us the names of those again. Okay, so um, thanks for the memories is the Buffy podcast, and we are at Fangs Podcast on Twitter. And then Tender Subject is the Cannibalism Podcast. And we're Tender underscore Subject on Twitter. Do you then, do you cover like my, other... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no. Um, my personal website for my art is uh, K-A-Y-T-E-T-E-R-R-Y, KateTerry.com. Great. Um, do you... Uh, cover just cannibalism in general or just cannibalism in uh, movies uh, and, and media? Like if there happens to be uh, studies or, or, or real world events where, where this stuff is happening, do you, do you cover that too? Yeah, we like, we're trying to stay away from true crime in general. Mm-hmm. Um, there are so many true crime podcasts and, it often veers into like copaganda and, and just like making people scared of things, which we don't really want to do. Yeah. Um, but we have done a couple like real wacky things that I've really enjoyed. Like there is a, um, there is a Brazilian modernist manifesto that was written in the forties called the cannibalism manifesto. And it is about how Brazilian modernist artists used the, like, sort of use, like, being a colonized country, um, like, knowing that they're being cannibalized, they're like, okay, well, we're cannibalizing you, too. Hmm. And so, like, the manifesto is all about how, like, 
Europeans came to Brazil and like destroyed their traditions, but they are going to Europe and like looking at Picasso and then coming back to Brazil and using like modernism, but in a very specific Brazilian way, which is like super cool and something I didn't know that much about. So we had a Brazilian historian on to talk about that. And it was really awesome. Um, We've also talked about like metaphorical cannibalism in Buddhism um, Mm -hmm. and some early, like so far we've talked about cannibalism and Christianity only like in extremely early examples, like second, I think it was like second century um, where Christians were also accused of being cannibals by the Romans. So it's like kind of an interesting, um, you know, just like fucked up tradition. Every time there's a new religion that scares people, they're like, they're all cannibals. And of course, Christians have turned around and done that to everyone else. Of course. Um, So, yeah. So we've talked about that. Um, We've done lots of movies. We did Tender is the Flesh. Um, which is like an amazing book about um, sort of like a dystopia where all of the animals uh, have a virus and people can't eat animals anymore. And so they start raising humans specifically for eating. Um, And it's pretty horrifying and it's extremely upsetting. It's a really good book though. And um when we decided we were going to talk about that, we got invited to go to a cannibal LARP that was based on that book. So we did an episode about that too. And that was really fun. So it's been like really amazing because people are so into it and are really like helping us along because I, as I, as far as I know, we're the only cannibal podcast, especially like, with this sort of take, you know, like not talking about like Dahmer or whatever. Yeah. Um, There's so many things I like that are adjacent to true crime, but I just never really, uh, I don't like true crime that much. It's just, yeah. Like I can get into like a, uh, like a, even like serial killer stuff. Um, Anything that's like gruesome. Yeah. I like cults are really cool. I fucking love cults. I love cults. Yeah. Yeah. But um, um, not so much serial killers and stuff. I, I mostly just find that like depressing and sad and and and, and yeah. like and not in the way that I like because I do like the darkness. But like, yeah, that's a that's like a different aspect of it that I'm just like, eh, this is too it's too personal. It's too like it is really sad. Yeah. It's extremely sad. And um, there's a podcast, Bad Gaze, that did an incredible episode about Dahmer that is like extremely materialist and like grounded in, mm-hmm. um, in like how badly the cops handled that whole thing and like how little they cared because yeah. he was mostly targeting queer, you know, like sex workers of color. And like, that's the story um so they did such a good job i'm like we don't ever need to talk about it unless they're i mean i could i could see like if there's like there is a um there's a movie called my friend Dahmer that Mm -hmm. we could talk about in terms of like 
the I guess like fictionalization but um yeah I mean we're really interested in like um I think for both of us for me and Jay who's the other co-host like we have other podcasts and this one is like our chance to just like read a shit ton of theory and go crazy and talk about just like extremely weird things and it's really fun do you eat so. meat yourself no and actually that's really funny i stopped eating meat while making the podcast so um thinking about cannibalism way too much made me a vegetarian again i was a vegetarian but like i stopped um i think for kind of like nihilist like no ethical consumption under capitalism stuff where i was like who the fuck cares and then i was like actually (laughs) i'm having a really hard time with this because i'm thinking about it all the time because there's so much in cannibal um cannibalism media that is like sort of metaphorically talking about like factory farming and well yeah absolutely i mean the horror of it is like you know being butchered like an animal is you know like the idea of butchering a human like an animal is is something that's so like horrifying and repellent and you have to like as a professed you know a self-professed meat eater myself like that's something that we have to examine (laughs) and just like why is it disturbing when we do it to a person and 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 not disturbing when we do it to a cow and i'm like i don't know what to tell you bud I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, I, I, I like, eat animals. I'm sorry. I'm a bad guy. I'm a bad guy. I no, guess you're not. It's just like, <laughs> that's the thing. I mean, it's like, it. all of us are like that. And like, honestly, I don't think I would have um, examined it that carefully if, if not for this uh, podcast. And like, um, Brian Fuller, who made Hannibal, stopped eating meat. And a, somebody else. Yeah. Did. The, guy, the guy who made... Um, uh, 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 what's Okja. It's not about cannibal cannibalism, but it's about you oh, know, like yeah. eating a fictional animal. And mm-hmm. he, he like he stopped eating meat when he like when he made that movie because it was just too like he was like oh it's too cute they're too nice like yeah. No. So yeah. I think it really is just getting like deep in there. You're like I just I don't feel like I can explain myself anymore. Mm-hmm. I feel like I would have a much more like solid foundation for this podcast if I'm a vegetarian. So, but I'm not a vegan. I can't, I just like, I, I, it's too hard. I really That's love butter. Eggs and, and I butter, <laughs> dairy, butter come and on. eggs are so good. But like, I, you know, it is another thing that you have to think about. Like, yeah, it's not like chickens being raised for eggs or like having a grand old time. Probably not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who is though? You know what I mean? I'm not either. Yeah, no. fuck it. <laughs> I'm also not having to, you know, this also sucks being a wage slave. So I don't know. Yeah, it's true. I'm je- I'm jealous of the cows. They get free food. They don't have to pay rent. It's true. I'm definitely jealous of my cats. They're having a fantastic time. Yeah. Of it. Yeah. The dog is so spoiled. Oh my God. I cook for her and everything. What are they going to oh, do? Wow. <laughs> well, anyway, this has been lovely. We we said we yeah, had to go yeah, like yeah. ten minutes ago, and okay. we've, we've gone over time, but that's okay. Um, okay. This was great, and uh, you know, uh, would love to have you back on the show uh, sure. at any time. So, um, goodbye. Funny. <laughs> <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> Thanks once again to Kate Terry for being on the show. Go 
check out her work if you are so inclined and, you know, if you're a fan of those shows or even if you're not, really. I listen to uh, Thanks for the Memories and I, I've never really sat through a whole episode of Buffy. I don't know. It's just fun to hear people talk about something that they're into. You feel like you can watch it vicariously. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. You can follow the show at Selfworst on Instagram. You can follow me at Radical Pearson on uh, eh, Twitter, I guess, on Blue Sky, whatever, Threads, whatever, the same name on all of that. I'm on TikTok. I, I'm not posting, but follow me. Go ahead. I don't care. I won't stop you. Um, Patreon.com slash Selfworst. We got bonus material and shit on there, and you can sign up for as little as a dollar a month. And that would be a very nice thing to do. I'd love that. Anyway, hope you're having a good holiday season. As we plunge into the shortest, darkest days of the year. Just keep your head up. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep chugging along. And that's all. I'm Brad Pearson. Until next time, embrace the gloom.